And I think about so many of us that have been around for a while. We've been disciples. We've been around church for quite some time. Hurts happen. Injuries happen. And what Jacob didn't do was, I'm injured, so I'm out. Instead, he went, no, even, even with my injury, I will not let you go until you bless me. Welcome to the Wrestling With Faith podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Tolliver. Join me as we go on a search for deeper faith and deeper community. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. If you're new here, we've been on a journey together exploring all the ways that we wrestle with our faith. Following the story of Jacob in the book of Genesis, we've been learning about the difference between wrestling with God and wandering from God. We hope that this series continues to build your faith and ask the hard questions. Make sure to check out our previous episodes so you can stay current with where we're at in the story. This specific episode is titled Bonus Live Material because it's taken directly from our most recent Wednesday night gathering. We're moving along here in the series, and this week, Tacho and Hannah Coronado begin the deep dive into the subject of how we wrestle with God. I am certainly excited for you guys to hear this one, so grab a Bible and a notebook, and let's dive in. Well, it is um, really, really great to be together. Um, I was so bummed last week because this has been the lesson, if not the most excited that I've been for a lesson in a while, Um, definitely one of the most. And when I woke up on Wednesday morning last week, I was starting to feel sick the night before, and I was like, gosh, not tonight. Like, the lesson's not done yet. I'm so excited to preach this one. And the campus was actually going to be joining us that night. So I called Nick, and I was like, dude, we need a plan B here. I'm like, I might be fine to preach, but it might be good to have a plan B. And I, like, almost threw up while I was on the phone with Nick. So I'm like, you know what? I think we need a different plan. And I was like, but this is, like, the lesson that's been on my heart the most throughout this entire series. I prepared for it the most, so I really didn't want to hand it off. We, we thought about it. We talked, and we went, you know what? It's one week. We have five weeks in March, so here we are tonight. It was so funny. I kept saying, like, every day, I think I'm at the tail end of it. That was Thursday, Friday. I think I'm at the tail end of it, and I'm still kind of congested, like, a week later. So, um, but amen. We're uh, getting through it. But it's, um, it really is great to be together, and thank you guys for being flexible. I planned on doing a recap of the series tonight and dive into a few things, and I actually timed the lesson I don't always do that, Um, but it would have been over 50 minutes if I had everything that I wanted to say tonight, so don't worry. I trimmed like 15 minutes off, so we're going to try to do this thing in 40 minutes. Um, But I will say, uh, if you haven't listened to some of those podcasts, that'll catch you up to date. And if you haven't, it's all good. Um, You should be able to follow along just fine. So we are ending our chapter on wrestling with egos, or we've now officially ended that. And we're entering into a new chapter of our series, which is now Wrestling with God, which is obviously a massive topic. There's no way that we're going to be able to get to everything tonight. Um, My hope, and I'll say this again later on, is just to give us some, some tools and some principles to use in other areas of our life in which we wrestle with God. I want to start by reading this quote that was actually the first quote I came across when we had decided, okay, let's do a series on wrestling with our faith. And um, this was the very first quote that that I came across when I started studying back in in January, and it immediately hooked me, and it's come to have more and more significance as the series has developed. So I'm going to go ahead and read this for us. It's by Nikos Kazantzakis. I feel like with a name like that, you have to listen to this man. It says, the struggle between God and humans breaks out in everyone, together with the longing for reconciliation. The stronger the soul and the flesh, the more fruitful the struggle, and the richer 
the final harmony. The spirit wants to have to wrestle with flesh, which is strong and full of resistance. What I love about this is that it not only normalizes wrestling, as it says, it's, it's normal for everyone. At, at one point or at multiple points in our life, we're going to wrestle with God. All of us, I'm sure, have many stories that we could share about that. But, you know, I think this also tells me that there's just something about humans that just love a good fight. Remember back in high school when a fight would break out? Everyone in harmony would bust out their phones and start recording and go, fight, or whatever. You know, if someone, if someone challenges Mayweather to get him out of retirement, you know we're showing up to that. Um, UFC, of course, and if none of that resonates with you, The Phantom Menace, uh, Star Wars Episode One, the most epic lightsaber fight of all time. You know, as we were, uh, yeah, so all that to say, there's just something in us, in our hearts as humans that just love a good fight. And there's something about God where I think that's true as well. You know, when we walked into our first midweek, not tonight, but the, a couple of weeks ago, J.D. came up to me and he was like, you know, when we started the series, I was like, why would I want to wrestle with God? I'm going to lose every time. I'm like, you're not wrong. That's actually, <laughs> there's actually some truth to that. You know, and generally speaking, in a wrestling match or in a fight, what is their goal? What is your goal when you enter into a wrestling match or a fight? To win, right? To dominate. Wrestling with God is a little bit different, right? Because the goal isn't necessarily to beat God. We're not going to do that. Nor is it God's goal to destroy you. Wrestling benefits our mutual relationship with God because we go deeper with him. We allow ourselves to engage with God in the ups of life, but especially the downs when we're tempted to run, very much like Jacob did in that last lesson that we looked at. And what I want to do today, before we even dive in, is just acknowledge, as I look in this room and as I've been praying for our ministry, we have a ministry of wrestlers and overcomers. I think of so many people that have battled with sin, with mental health, that have incredible testimonies, not just wrestling, but overcoming in incredible ways. Some that have left the church and have come back. Many that have perhaps wandered in our hearts, but we've chosen to remain faithful to God. So many of us in this room that perhaps even contemplated coming tonight. And the fact that you came is an incredible act of faith. I want to say all of that to start because what I don't want to create here is I know how to wrestle with God, so listen to me. This is, we're doing this together. We're going on a journey. The series, the podcast, all of this is a, is a communal journey to learn how to deepen our faith and our community, as Joshua Archer would put it. Let's go ahead and dive in, but before we look at Genesis chapter 32... Um, unfortunately, because we don't have eight years to go through Jacob's story, we won't be able to go through every single chapter in the Bible, or rather every chapter in his story. So very quickly, if you haven't been able to read Genesis 29-31, I would encourage you to do that for context because we won't be able to look at that tonight or in the podcast. But essentially what happened was that, as we saw in Genesis 28, he was forced to flee. Jacob was forced to flee because of his overinflated ego. He cheated his dad, cheated his brother. A lot of things just went south for him. So he's in the wilderness and on his way to meet his uncle in Haran. So as soon as he, is, as soon as he arrives in Haran, he meets the love of his life, Rachel. And immediately we, we are, um, a lot of us are familiar with the statement that Jacob served seven years, but for him it just felt like a few days because he was so infatuated and enamored with her. He meets his uncle Laban, who is uh, really, quite literally, is his flesh and bones. He meets his match there, and it's this constant usurping battle. They're trying to outwit one another. 
And because of the tension between the sisters and Laban, and it just becomes a huge mess, God intervenes into his life yet again. And the interesting thing is that God didn't tell him, flee to somewhere where it's a little bit more comfortable, flee somewhere where you don't have to deal with these people or your past. He actually says, I want you to return home. Now that it's been 20 years and I've been with you, I've kept my promise and I want you to go back and meet Esau, the brother that he cheated and lied to and stole from. He wanted him to return. So, of course, he's absolutely terrified as he goes back to meet him. But before he engages in the wrestling match with Esau, I'm excited to dive into that in April, he engages in a wrestling match with God. And to that we turn, Genesis chapter 32. Oh, yeah, that was, uh, that was Jacob when he found out that he married Leah instead of Rachel. So um, we're going to keep moving, though, for the sake of time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. It says in verse 22 of chapter 30. Oh, I ruined everything. All right. <laughs> Let's see. Okay, there we go. We're good. Thank you, Kent Washington. All right. That night, in verse 22, Jacob got up. So he was on his way to meet Esau took his two wives, two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched, and he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel and said, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Okay, there's a lot to dive into here. and We're going to have a few more podcasts on this, because there's no way we're going to be able to dive into everything here. But the first thing I want to say is that this man was in his 90s. He wasn't a fit 25-year-old, rock-hard abs, ready to engage. This guy was probably around 97 years old. And it's said that he wrestled with this mysterious man all night long. Okay, have you ever wrestled for like 30 seconds? You know this is hard, right? I myself am not a wrestler. I did box. And um, I went to a boxing gym back when I moved to San Antonio. And at the time, I had really only been lifting weights. So I came in, I came in rather, and uh, they were giving me all this junk because they're like, oh, you think you're all buff or whatever. And, and, and to be fair, I was a little egotistical. I probably did think I could knock everyone out in the gym. I very quickly found out that sparring endurance and muscle endurance are two very different things. So they put me in the ring. And I was ready to go, baby. <laughs> I showed this to Mason. At, yeah, I was 19-year-old Tacho. Eyelids flipped out. Someone had knocked my nose. I, I, it might have been broken. I'm not sure, but that's enough of that picture. Um, I saw Ken trying to, oh, I see. <laughs> um, so they put me in the ring with a guy like half my size. And in the first like 30 seconds, man, it, it felt like he was moving at like, five times speed, and I was moving at like .25. I was like trying to swing, and he was like blasting my face, getting my butt handed to me by a guy weighing like 130 pounds. Very quickly, I got humbled, and that was like in 30 seconds. Needless to say, a 90-year-old man wrestling with someone all night, that's pretty impressive. Back to the story. You know, what that taught me in in boxing is that, yes, fighting takes engagement, wrestling takes mental energy, physical energy, 
But what I also learned about that was that the day-to-day mattered because I couldn't just step into the ring and act like I was ready to go. I had to get my, my butt handed to me every time if that were the case. Every drill I did, the way that I ate, my consistency of going to the boxing gym, all of that mattered in the way that I performed in the ring. And I think when it comes to engaging and wrestling with God, we often look at a scene like this and go, man, this is so epic. What we often forget is that Jacob had been wrestling with God and with man for 90 years. In particular, the last 20 years of his life was a a terrible wrestling match with a boss that he essentially hated, Laban. Many of us can go amen to that. And there was so much there that prepared him for a moment like this, that prepared him not only to wrestle with God, but also with man. And what I love about this story in particular, and I only came across it maybe a couple of days ago, I used to think, just in my mind, as I would think about this story, that Jacob stopped because his hip was dislocated, right? God touched his hip. It dislocated, fight ended. But if we look back in verse 25, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that it was wrenched as he wrestled with the man of God. And and God, the man, we're going to look at a little bit of that in just a little bit, but in verse 26, the man actually said, let me go for it is daybreak. And Jacob's response after his hip is dislocated is this, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What does that tell us? Jacob wasn't fighting at the peak of his strength, despite his age, obviously. He was injured in that fight. And I think about so many of us that have been around for a while. We've been disciples. We've been around church for quite some time. Hurts happen. Injuries happen happen. And what Jacob didn't do was, I'm injured, so I'm out. Instead, he went, no, even even with my injury, I will not let you go until you bless me. And as a result of this, God gave him a new identity. It's also interesting that when he was asked, what is your name? Of course, this brings back memories to earlier in the story. Last time he was asked this question, what was his response? I am Esau, your firstborn. It's interesting that when he finally became comfortable with his real identity, God went, he's ready. He's ready to become Israel. And I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves here in the series, but I do find that this point is so powerful that when we come to a place of recognizing our identity, the warts, the injuries, the good ego, the bad ego, all of that, that God can then go, okay, you're ready. You're ready to become Israel. God wipes away our sin. Praise God for that. But sometimes we still live with the consequences of not only our our own sin, but also the sin of others. And like Jacob we walk away from our wrestling match with a limp. And that's okay. In fact, what does it say later in the scripture? None of the Israelites, God's people, shared his name, shared the name of of Jacob, now Israel, for their entire identity, so much so that they didn't eat this part of the animal because of this interaction. It became a part of their identity which begs the question, what does it mean to be a people of God? It means to wrestle with God. It means to engage in the battle, to wrestle, to persevere, and to have that exact attitude and statement, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You know, life beats us up sometimes, doesn't it? Work flat out sucks sometimes, doesn't it? Life can be hard. And you might be thinking, man, I'm wrestling enough with life. I'm wrestling enough with marriage and career and roommates. Now you're saying I need to wrestle with God? Well, let me ask you this. 
does, rest, does running from your wrestling match with God ever actually help anything? Maybe in the short run. I do the dishes in our household most of the time. Uh, Hannah can amen to that point. You know, and there are times where I, I kind of walk by the kitchen, I'm like, oop. And then I walk back, I'm like, oop. And I, I can sometimes think in my head, well, maybe if I just keep running from them, they'll magically go away. Of course that doesn't work. They only continue to pile up, and it's a disaster by the time you know it. It's so true in our spiritual lives. There are things I need to deal with. There are conversations I need to have, convictions that I need to build, some motivations that I need to rehash, and the longer we run, the more they pile up. So my call tonight is not to, well, just avoid running. My call is to engage to wrestle, and to fight. You know, I asked the question, what does it look like for our generation to wrestle with God? And I was flooded with, all of these are y'all's responses. Um, I'm just going to walk through a few here. Because obviously, there's a ton. Number one, wrestling with the misconception of wrestling, right? I think we've talked a little bit about what wrestling is and what it's not. Wrestling is engaging in the fight, whereas Disengaging is simply that, disengaging. I said this in the introduction podcast, but I think it's really important to lay some groundwork here before we, before we dive in to, uh, to the rest here. I think sometimes we often misuse the word wrestling, right? When two people are in a wrestling match, it is evidence they are going for it, they are sweating, they're huffing and puffing, they are on the ground, they are grinding it out. You can tell when two people are engaged in a wrestling match. The same is true when one person disengages. When one person's going, I'm not doing any of that anymore. It's, it's evident. Wrestling with God, I want to start with what wrestling with God is not. Wrestling with God is not simply recognizing that you're not in a good place and not doing anything about it. Wrestling and wandering are two different things. Wrestling with God is not allowing our opinions and feelings to become the ultimate truth in our lives. That's idolatry. We've become our own God at that point. Wrestling with God is not coasting and just kind of taking life as it comes. Wrestling with God is engaging, asking the hard questions, looking at the convictions of our lives and figuring out why we believe what we believe. It's being honest about the good, bad, and the ugly in our lives and bringing them not only to people, but to God. That's what it means to wrestle with God. So anyway, went on a long rant there. I promise I won't do that for every single one. Projecting negative experiences with our earthly fathers or authority figures onto God. Having a why me mentality. Wrestling with the morality of God, sexuality, the problem of evil, all of that. Remaining engaged. Sometimes wrestling with God is just fighting to remain faithful and engaged. The cultural norms. Our our culture has so many different types of norms that are shouting at us all the time. And we wrestle with God. Well, the scriptures say one thing, culture says another. So which one is it? Disappointment. We thought life was going to go one way, and it turned out going a different way. We thought marriage was going to be one way. It ended up being another way. We thought our careers were going to look like this. They don't look like that. There's so many areas of disappointment in which we wrestle with God. Wrestling with God's goodness and grace, obedience, trials of life, consistency, differentiating God and the church, especially after being hurt. This is by no means an exhaustive list. But I say all this to go, you guys have a great understanding of what it looks like to wrestle with God. These are y'all's responses. And so over the next three and a half hours, we're going to dive into every single one and have all the solutions for you guys. We're with you, bro. All right. So we're going to take a quick water break. We'll be back for the next five and a half hours. No, we're not doing that. Nor, nor is this a lesson on giving you the answer for every single thing that you wrestle with. There's just no way. The goal of this sermon is to give you principles and tools for you to engage the wrestling match with. So with that in mind, I want to boil it down to a few things. 
when I first came into the Young Professionals Ministry, this was something that we're about to look at that I found incredibly fascinating. And I've, I've shared some of this with you guys already. Um, and, and I've found this fascinating because even as we've started this series, the golden question for a lot of us has been, how do I go from the post-honeymoon faith, or sorry, post-honeymoon phase in my faith to a more mature and joyful faith without recreating the honeymoon? So what I want to do, I want to set some groundwork here. We're going to do a little bit of teaching, okay? You guys are incredibly intelligent, so I'm sure you guys will follow along just fine. But we're going to, we're going to do some teaching for a little bit here. If any of this doesn't make sense, we can talk a little bit more after. But this is something that I feel incredibly passionate about, not just because it's deep or whatever, but because I think it puts language to what so many of us in our mid to late 20s, early 30s are experiencing in our faith. So let's dive in. A lot of us, okay, pre-conversion phase. We all remember what our lives were like before we became Christians. We lived life for me and myself alone. Then we entered into a conversion, falling in love phase, right, where we're studying the Bible, we're seeing um, God's truth in his word, we're coming to church, and we are just like, this is heaven on earth, and this is perfect, and this is awesome. I, I'm thinking about going from steady dating to getting married to Jesus here, if you follow the analogy. So, of course, we choose to get married to Jesus. We get baptized, make him the Lord of our life. And so we quickly enter to what's called a honeymoon phase. And a lot of us are familiar with those feelings. For some of us, maybe it was last September. Maybe for some of us, it was 15, 20 years ago when we were in this honeymoon phase. And it is a life defined by euphoria. Everything is awesome. My church is awesome. I love reaching out to people. I'm having six quiet times a day. I'm telling everyone about it. And we're just rambling on and on about the goodness of God. But then it ends. And we're in this season of what happened? The zeal isn't quite there anymore. We began questioning God. We began questioning our convictions, questioning church, leadership, ourselves, our purpose. And we're kind of in this disillusioned season. And as it's listed here, there's a temptation to slide back to our initial stage of living life for ourselves. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Life was much easier when I just lived for myself. Very much like the Israelites in the wilderness. Man, why did you bring us out here? It would be better if I was back in Egypt. It's like, really? Would it really be better if, if we were back who we were before we became Christians? Man, I think about my life, it would be an absolute train wreck which then leads us into this next stage if we decide to not go back to that. It's called proficiency, where we choose to obey even when we don't feel like it. We show up morning after morning in our times with God, even if the feelings of the honeymoon aren't there, because we know I'm married to Jesus, not to the feelings. When we decide... I love that the, we've coined the phrase decision time because this really is the time in our faith where we go, am I going to live for God or am I going to try to recreate the honeymoon phase with another person or another thing because really I've only been in love with the feelings, not necessarily God. And this phase forces us to dig in to our convictions it forces us to dig into, why am I here? Why do I go to church? Why do I take communion? Why do I have discipling relationships? Why do I go to midweek? Why do I read my Bible? And if we don't answer those questions, we'll progressively slip back and become the very thing that we were running from or we're trying to transform from in the beginning of our lives and spiritual lives. And of course, all of this, when handled properly, we enter into what's called the living flame or the God-centric life where we're not recreating the honeymoon necessarily, 
but we've gotten to a place where there's a deep joy and love for God because of the journey that he has taken us on. To use the words of Tim Mackey, y'all with me? Okay, a little bit more here. I think you guys can, can, uh, I think you guys can handle this. Okay, so Dark Night of the Soul, I- I'm going to leave. These books are not a flex, by the way. Uh, I know some of you guys have asked, hey, what are some books that you've read for this? There, there's tons here. Please come look at them afterwards, and I'd love to talk more about that. I'm going to move quickly here because Hannah's going to share in just a moment. But this is a really fascinating concept, the dark night of the soul. I am underqualified to teach on this, but what I will say is that as I was reading this, talking about the wrestling phase, post-honeymoon, all of that, deciding do I want to be here or not, this put the exact language of what so many conversations that I've had with people in this room that I hope you will find not only insightful, but helpful. So the dark night of the soul can be defined. I'm sure there's millions of definitions, but it can be defined as the dark night of the soul is an ongoing transition from compulsively trying to control one's life toward a trusting freedom and openness to God and the real situations of life. In other words, in those wilderness experiences, in those times of doubting and questioning and wrestling where we're trying to hold on to control, we're trying to take charge of our lives, it's the ongoing transition from letting go and letting God move in our lives and being the true Lord when we made that declaration that Jesus was Lord. Maybe you're thinking, okay, I'm kind of tracking. I think I know what you're saying. Luckily, there's a few signs to identify whether or not you may be experiencing a dark night of the soul. Number one is a dryness in our prayer and life. A dryness in our relationship with God. Or maybe there's a lack of fulfillment and gratification, not only in our times with God, but also in our lives. The spark tends to go out. So what do we do? There's this dryness in our life. We're trying to figure that out. And so we enter into this other phase, which is a lack of desire for the old ways. Because we start to think, okay, I'm losing my flame, so what do I do? Let me recreate the honeymoon with God, right? That seems like a logical conclusion. And in some ways, yes, the heart of connecting with God, the heart of engaging the mission, all of that is great. But what this phase is really talking about is an attempt to recreate what we did before, but it falls short. Man, I'm trying to do what I did back in my campus days, but it's not working. And we start to get frustrated and just disillusioned with why isn't this going the way that it used to? And our motivation gets called into question. Well, why did I do those things years ago? Why did I share my faith? Why did I have quiet times? Why did I do those things? And so this disillusionment sets in, but our anchor in all of that is that deep down what remains is a simple desire to love God. I think this quote sums it up. I don't know what it means or how to do it, but what I really want is to just be close to and in love with God. If this isn't making sense, we can talk a little bit more later. But the conversations that I've had and what I've seen in my own life and the lives of others is that this can be a scary time in our faith where we go, why is the zeal not there? Why am I not as excited about life, my walk with God? Why do I feel this lack of desire to go back to the old things that I used to do? But the one thing that's keeping us holding on is that simple desire for God. At this time, Hannah's going to come up and share her story when she experienced the dark night of the soul. Well, hello. Good evening. Um, is, that, is that on? Can you? Okay, there we go. There we go. Um, so I know I don't need to tell any of you this, but I am very pregnant. <laughs> um, which means that I am emotional a lot, and it doesn't take very much for me to cry. So on a Sunday morning, you can catch me during worship weeping to pretty much anything that we're doing, right? Any song we're singing, I'm just there crying it out, right? Um, but last Sunday, Jess 
so beautifully led us in that song, The Highlands and the Heartaches. You guys familiar? Yeah, we sang it last week. Um, But there was this one line that she said that really, or she said, we all sang, that really struck me, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And the line was, in the highlands and the heartache, you are neither more or less inclined. I would search and stop at nothing because you're just not that hard to find. And it was the line, you're just not that hard to find, that I couldn't get out of my head. Because my logical, Bible-reading, Christian brain knows that God isn't that hard to find, right? I know that I can open my Bible. I know that I can say a prayer. I know that I can go in nature and look for him and have a conversation. Like, I know that God is not that far away, but it doesn't always feel like that. Um, sometimes he feels really hard to find. And uh, in 2017, a few months after Tatu and I got married, I experienced this time of like really intense wrestling. Um, you know, we were just newly married. I was in my last year of college and like trying to cram in a bunch of classes so I didn't have to be in school anymore. And working in the ministry and like trying to figure out life at 21. And I just got really anxious. Um, Life felt super overwhelming to me. And uh, I started getting professional mental health help um, and unfortunately was misdiagnosed and put on medication that made things significantly worse. Um, It was the first time that I was really, really struggling to just kind of get out of bed in the morning. Um, And for the first time in my life, I considered maybe it would be easier if I just didn't have to do this anymore. If I just didn't have to fight anymore. Um, So when Tacho references the dark night of the soul, I'm like, yeah, that's the understatement of the century. Like this was dark, dark times in my life. Um, And in my young faith, I really believed that what I needed to do was just put in more effort. If I just read the Bible more, if I just tried harder, if I just prayed for longer, then I could make it go away. But where I struggled was I just didn't feel like I had any more to give. Um, I felt like I was giving everything I could by just starting the sentence, Dear God, and I would weep. Um, And Tatcha was so kind to me during this time and bought me a coloring book of scriptures. (laughs) And so some days it was just me coloring in my coloring book, like, this has just got to be enough for today, God. This is all I have. And it was during this time that the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 was about the only story I would read, and to this day remains my favorite passage in all of the Bible, because Jesus took what his disciples had, their little meal of a few loaves and a few fishes, and he made it enough. The disciples, through their own efforts, were completely incapable of feeding 5,000 people, right? They could have fed like two. Um, But when it was in the hands of Jesus, it was enough. Jesus is the one that makes our efforts enough. And I share this story to say, if you find yourself in a season of wrestling right now, first of all, I see you. I know how hard it can be to walk through that door. I know how hard it can be to pick up your Bible when you just want to throw it against a wall. Um, I see you, and I really appreciate you being here and fighting still. Um, But I also want to say that God will meet you here. If you don't feel like you have the energy to engage in this all-night, full-strength wrestling match, bring what you do have to God. My favorite part of Jacob's wrestling match is in verse 26 when he says, I will not let go. Jacob was willing to hang on, and I encourage you to hang on too. 
Satan wants to get us to throw in the towel. He wants to dismiss our efforts as small and insignificant and not enough. But God blesses the small efforts we put in. I know that God was with me in those dark moments. I know that he saw my small efforts, my loaves and my fish, and he multiplied them. I know that he blessed the fact that I didn't quit and I didn't let go. And I know he will do the same in your wrestling match today. Amen. I love that. That it's sometimes wrestling is simply holding on. It's simply holding on. And uh, I was going to give some solutions. We're not going to talk about kava tonight. Um, but we will talk about some different ways to connect with God in, um, in future um, lessons and podcasts. What I want to dive into quickly, I know we're running out of time here. Um, there's two more things, so we're going to go about five more minutes and we'll call it. One thing that I think we can do, besides simply showing up, if that's where we're at tonight, is revisiting our why. I've made a lot of reference to this, and I want to give us an example Let's see something as generic as going to church. Why do I go to church? We're going to talk about some unhealthy reasons and some healthy reasons. And I would encourage you to do an exercise like this with other convictions in your life. Why am I in discipling relationships? Why do I give contribution? Why do I take communion? Why? And just ask yourself these questions on some basic convictions that we have in our faith. So why do I go to church? Here's some unhealthy reasons. Well, because my church schedule says that we do so, and Tanya does so, she does a great job with putting our schedule together, so that's why I do it. Not a great reason, because that's what we do. Because I should. Someone is going to text me if I don't come. I don't want to get in trouble. Okay, as funny as that might sound, this is what I've seen. We throw out the good conviction because of bad external motivations. Well, I was, I was you know, always told that I, I would be, I would be uh, rebuked if I didn't come to midweek, so that's why I go to midweek. First of all, if, if that's true, I'm really sorry. And I'm sorry if I've done that to you in your life. Where maybe you, you've missed one thing and I was like, where are you at, bro? And it was this intense thing. That was dumb. The Bible says not to be in the habit, not one midweek and now you're going to hell. That's outrageous. That's outrageous. But I say that to go, don't get rid of the conviction. Revisit the why. So let's look at some healthy reasons. And of course, this is a generic example. I encourage you to go deeper with your own faith. But what are some healthy reasons? Well, the Bible says to be devoted to one another in love. The Bible says not to give up meeting as some are in the habit of doing. Jesus is the head of the church. Not Tacho, not Mike, not Hervé, Jesus. So I go to church because Jesus is the head. Ephesians 5, we are members of God's household. We are members of God's household. I want to close out. Wow, I'm really losing my voice here. Matthew 26, this will be the last thing. Then Jesus went with his disciples. We're going to look at a snapshot here of how Jesus, the Son of God, teaches us how to wrestle. And I want to leave you with these principles. Verse 36, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And later, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayal. I want to end here because what I didn't say in the last slide was that it has to be about Jesus. When it stops being about Jesus, when our convictions stop being about the scriptures and his word, 
things get messy. Things get ugly. Things get weird. And what I want to do here as we close is look at the snapshot of Jesus, the Son of God. He didn't go, the cross is going to be hard, so I'm out. He also didn't go, well, the cross is what I got to do, so I'm doing it. We get to see in the scriptures, Jesus wrestled. Jesus engaged in the fight to get to a place where he could overcome and ultimately surrender. And the way that he did this was, number one, he brought his friends along. As generic as that sounds, I want to take a moment to sit on this because what Jesus didn't do, he didn't go to the 75-year-old elder. He didn't go to the 90-year-old prophet. He went to his friends. Now, please hear this loud and clear. Please get advice from elders. Please get advice from people that have been around for 40 years, 50 years, that that have been around the block. Please do that. And I think we do a pretty good job of that. What I think we can grow in is being real with each other. I think sometimes there's no doubt in my mind that we have some great friends in in this circle. We love each other. We love having fun with each other. All that's great. I don't know if we do a good job being vulnerable with each other. I don't know if we do a good job talking about where we're really at. I don't know if we do a great job submitting to one another in love. I don't know if we do a great job submitting in humility. But Jesus did. Jesus pulled in his friends and said, very honestly, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Can you just pray with me? When was the last time you pulled a friend aside and said, bro, will you just pray with me? Sis, will you just pray with me? The next thing he did, he didn't stop there. He took it to God. When we're helping each other in our wrestling moments, the question should always be, have you talked to God about this? Have you brought this to God? And lastly, he surrendered. The irony of wrestling with God is that in both stories, the victory came when we ultimately surrendered and submitted to the will of God of God. And in both stories, even though they were injured, even though they were in the pressing and and the crushing as we sung about today, they moved forward. They didn't sit there in the garden. They didn't sit there in the wilderness and go, well, I'm hurt, so I'm done. They dealt with it with God. They dealt with it with people, and they moved forward. I think for some of us, it's time to move forward. But you know, it's so much easier to surrender to someone when you know that they love you. This is my, uh, my one-year-old daughter going on 15 here with her little cell phone, her toy cell phone. I, I looked at her. I could not believe how old she looked in that picture. One quick story. She loves, okay, so she, um, she gets a little disillusioned when other people try to pick her up or like if they're staring at her when she's walking, she's just kind of like, What's going on? Or if you hold her, you don't know her. She's like, ah, she like kicks away. But as soon as she sees Hannah or myself or someone that, that she knows, she goes like this. <laughs> because she knows that we love her. The way to surrendering to God and wrestling with God is remembering how loved you are by the Father. That you are engraved in the palms of his hand that he loves you and knows the ins and outs. He knows you're coming and you're going, that he is for you and not against you, and that he wants what is best in your life. When you believe that, that's when we can surrender. Not that it's easy, but it's a lot easier. The principles I want to leave us with is to simply engage in the fight, engage in the wrestling match, Number two, revisit your why. And lastly, surrender to the love of God. I'll close out where we started. The struggle between God and humans breaks out in everyone, together with the longing for reconciliation. The stronger the soul and the flesh, the more fruitful the struggle and the richer the final harmony. The spirit wants to have to wrestle with the flesh which is strong and full of resistance. 
I invite you to wrestle with the same vigor and mentality, attitude, and statement of Jacob. I will not let you go. Thank you, guys. Wow. Well, I don't know about you, but this lesson really made me think. The goodness of God cannot be outmatched. He's patient, he's kind, and most of all, he believes in you. Wherever you're at in your faith journey, take heart, because God has a plan, and he is in control. And as we draw closer to the Lord, of course, it's only necessary for us to deepen our faith and our trust in him. And I understand that can be hard, but you've got this. You can do this because the spirit of God is at work in you. Thank you, Tacho, for inspiring us to take leaps and bounds and deepen our faith for Jesus. Thank you, Hannah, for sharing so vulnerably and reminding us that even in the lowest of lows, the Lord meets us there. I hope you found this lesson encouraging and challenging. As we close out, my two questions for you are, in what ways do you need to wrestle with God? Is there anything unsaid, anything you've avoided? I encourage you to make some time to journal and pray about this. Leave it all on the table. And lastly, how can you approach wrestling with God in a way that brings true glory to him? Let's close out with a prayer. God, you are sovereign and you are good. Thank you for how you chase us down and how you believe in us, Lord. You give us blessings we don't even deserve. And as we pass through phases of our faith and sometimes it feels like we slip back and we return to our old ways or we feel down and alone, depressed, Lord, I know that you meet us there. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness. And thank you for Jesus. It's because of him that we can have a relationship with you. Lord, we love you. And in Jesus' beautiful name, amen. Wrestling with Faith is a nonprofit podcast brought to you by the Mission Point Christian Church, Yopro Ministry. We'll see you next time.